have your Bibles. It is an absolute delight this time of the year. We have the sense of anticipation and excitement. I love how we began our call to worship um, by reminding and by even singing these words, this phrase, He alone, for He alone is worthy. You know what that means? You're not. As we kind of, as we kind of march our way over these next couple days through the Christmas season, we have got to keep the Lord first and foremost. Um, I thought, how do we do that? I was, you know what I, um, I was Christmas shopping. Do you know what a dum-dum is? Not one, not a person, but you know what a little lollipop a dum-dum is? And I saw one of these yesterday, and it kind of struck my attention. It wasn't necessarily this one. Um, the, the world today, particularly at Christmas time, we have a fascination with anything that, in a sense, um, is larger than life. So as I was shopping yesterday, I, I actually came upon what is referred to as the world's largest dum-dum. Here it is. See, we're, we're kind of used to this, and for some reason, this just grabs our attention. Anything that's big like this, we've just got to have it, right? We love this. We're fascinated with it. Over these next couple days, I hope that doesn't mess the piano up. I don't know. Your job description, okay, as we look today in this, this text, in Luke chapter 1, your job description is to make the Lord speak, to magnify the Lord, to exalt the Lord, to extol the Lord, to glorify the Lord first and foremost in everything that you say and everything that you do. We've got to keep that in focus. Uh, Luke chapter 1, we're going to read this in a couple of different portions. I know we have a lot to get through, but I just, I just love the weight as we're introduced to this little, this little girl this young um, woman that God chooses to use and bless in an amazing way. Before we pray, we're going to get a little bit of a backstory into um, this, this main character as we look this morning at Mary displays hope by praising God. Luke chapter 1, you can pick up the text in verse 26. I'll read down through um, verse 38. Here it is. In the sixth month, The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How how will this be since I am a virgin? 
And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord God. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Would you bow your heads as we commit our time this morning to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come before you, we understand our job description. Lord, as we reflect on your gift of grace to us, we are humbled at this this appointment and time to celebrate and commemorate the birth of Jesus. But we, Father, we come before you and we understand that just as we're reminded this morning, it's, it's more than about a manger, for that manger led to a cross and a tomb that offers redemption, that rescues us from from our own sin that offers new life and forgiveness. Father, I would pray, Lord, that as we um, look into your word this morning, as we examine the life of this, this young woman, that we would see ourselves and how we too can keep you first and foremost above everything else. Father, we love you. We love you so much. And we're grateful for this opportunity to focus our attention on you. May we forget all the busyness and the movement around us. And may we hear from you, see you, and learn of you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. And amen. History, um, both secular as also, and also sacred, has tended to romanticize this character, Mary. Uh, this young woman, the earthly mother of Jesus. Uh, We will see, uh, you have seen artists portray her in many, many different pictures. They have this idea of of this halo over her head and almost a glowing look about her face. Oddly enough, she's very rarely smiling, which I think is kind of sad for some reason. We know that... Um, The Roman Catholic Church for centuries has presented this one, Mary, as what? The perfect Madonna. The Roman Catholic Church has presented her as sinless, as the lifelong virgin, the co-redemptrix, one who is equal to the Redeemer, one who has taken bodily to heaven and crowned Queen of Heaven. Some people teach that she has been given important intercessory roles that are equal to Christ. If you were to look at all of these things that people have taught, you'd see Mary as the magnificent one as people describe her and describe her to be. But we have to understand, as we look into the text of Scripture, understand that such a superhuman picture of Mary is without any scriptural evidence without any biblical authority or proof whatsoever. If those things were recorded in Scripture, it would be entirely different, but none of that is there. In reality, we're presented by this uh, to this young woman, and she is the most plain, she is the most common 
from a common, everyday, working-class, first-century Middle Eastern family. She could hardly have been more unassuming. She could hardly have been more ordinary. Now, one thing that was extraordinary about her, we, we kind of paused at this morning, it was her faith. Last week, if we looked at one thing that was extraordinary about Joseph was his family. Today, what's extraordinary about Mary is her faith. In this area, she is an amazing example to you and to me. If we're going to, to elevate something this morning, it's going to be a character trait that Mary displays and not a character. And so we have to be understanding that she displays for us this, this view of her Savior that she is introduced to. We can learn from that. Today we are what? We're on the very brink of commemorating, of celebrating the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. My dad would say, three days and a wake up from now. It's that close. Where we, in a sense, pause on what? God's gift of grace to us. We love the wrapping and we love the presents and the tinsel and the food. This is about God's gift of grace to us. And we see that ultimately, Mary teaches us through her faith that our attention has got to stay on the Lord, to give praise to God, to give thanks to God, and ultimately to worship God. Mary displays this idea of what I call the right attitude, the right object, and the right reason for worship because do you realize that today a lot of us are missing entirely the subject of what it means to truly worship God? We look first and foremost at what I call the attitude of Mary's worship. We're going to flip down a couple more verses and we'll read from verse 46. Listen to Mary's response to this news that Gabriel has just brought her. She's in shock and surprise, but she demonstrates faith and trust in a way that you and I can learn from this morning. Here's, here's Mary's response, verse 46 of Luke chapter 1. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary remained with her, this is with Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. First thing we want to see this morning is the attitude of Mary's worship. And we see this in this small portion of Scripture. Verses 46 through 55 is often referred to as the Song of Mary, or it's commonly referred to as the Magnificat. It's interesting to see that this, these few verses are saturated with Old Testament references, concepts, phrases. Twelve of them, to be exact, indication that Mary knew what, as a young Jewish girl, the Scriptures. She was taught that when she was young. 
It begins with what Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. In this attitude of worship that Mary teaches us, she first and foremost teaches us that it is internal. Notice the words that she uses to describe what's happening. My soul and my spirit. What is this? My soul and my spirit. If you were to define that, if I were to ask you, so what's the distinction between your soul and your spirit? Very difficult. Both refer to what? One's internal state. They speak of our mind, our emotions, and our will. All the moral impulses and feelings of what we refer to as the human heart. I love this. Remember who's the messenger here. Gabriel the angel comes with a word from God. This is God's word to Mary. Think later how the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 that the word of God pierces, what? To the division of soul and spirit. A word directly from the Lord cuts deep, sharper than any two-edged sword, the, the author of Hebrews says. I believe Mary teaches us, reminds us that this is true when it comes to our worship. It is so much more than a feeling. A lot of times you think of one's worship and you travel somewhere, you visit a massive, gorgeous cathedral, and you are struck by a sense of awe at the architectural, the artistry. Think about someone stops in a church and and enjoys the magnificence of a stained glass window. We hear a song and we respond in worship because it makes us feel good. Mary actually, this is bigger than how we feel. It's something deeper than that. Remember this, true worship ought to stir the very, very depths of your soul. It ought to pour out of your spirit as a declaration of God's greatness. So not only does Mary teach us that this worship is internal, but also she teaches us that it's intense. This is the idea, my soul magnifies. My soul, she said, from deep within, exalts, glorifies the Lord. It comes from the Greek word maglunai. It means to cause, to grow, or to swell. In Latin, it's megalini, which what we get our prefix. What do we talk about? What kind of a dum-dum is it? It's a mega dum-dum. There's, there's the normal, and then there's this mega. We're drawn to that. What is this area is the host to the mega transit. You don't just run the transit. You run the mega transit. It's bigger and better than anything else. Mary's idea here is magnifying, is clarifying, is exalting. She has this consuming attitude. All of her concentration is on the Lord. And I thought about that. I thought, how long has it been since you and I have been literally what... We had a sense of exaltation from within towards something. Not, not an object, not a gift of only I could get that and have that waiting for me under the tree. No. When was the last time that you couldn't contain your emotions because of the excitement of what God has done for you? Has what? Has grown and, and, and swollen up. Within, how, how long has it been? 
I love this, I, I love this idea. Uh, Sarah was teaching uh, last week at the, at the um, ladies' prayer breakfast, and she was talking about the fact that what? That the baby leaped inside of the womb when they heard what John the Baptist leaped, was, was twisting, was exciting at the fact that the name of the Lord, the news of the Lord, and the fact that how long has it been since we have literally leapt at this thought of what God has done for us. There's this attitude of worship that Mary gives to us that is absolutely amazing. It's thrilling and exciting. We also see what is referred to as the object of Mary's worship. Look at the phrases that are used. Verse 46, the object of Mary's worship is very, very obvious. The Lord, the term that she uses in 46, my Savior in verse 47, in verse 49, the mighty one, or he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. It's virtually impossible to confuse the object of Mary's worship with anyone or anything else other than the, the one Lord, God, creator, sustainer of everything above. Nothing blocks her view. Nothing blacks out her view of God. But I think it's amazing with this is this little detail. We kind of go back to 47 and, and Mary refers to, to Jesus, the one that's going to come as my Savior. Think about this. Inerrant theology or doctrine, as, as Roman Catholics would say, that she is sinless or perfect. Why would she need a Savior? You don't call for a Savior unless you alone know you are what? A sinner in need of one. Great evidence here that Mary, what, admits the fact that, that she is in need of salvation and there's only one who is perfect. And that perfect one is the Lord Jesus Christ, clearly the sole object of her worship. Just like the sole object of our worship is to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And so often we get enamored with the things around us. The, the concept, the idea, and, and sadly, even the artifacts. I remember visiting Jerusalem last year, and there was more attention that was to a stone. This may have been a stone that Jesus himself walked on. And so people are stopping, and they're praying, they're lighting candles to the stone. It has nothing to do with the stone that Jesus walked on. It has to do with the one who walked on that, the one who created that stone. I remember visiting beautiful Catholic cathedrals in Montreal and Quebec, Canada. And in one particular case, they actually had what they believe they encased the actual heart of Joseph. How they know, have no idea. People are worshiping. They're lighting candles. They're praying to a dried up dead heart. An artifact as opposed to what? I think of buildings and church buildings. I think of even the focus that we have to place on a tool that we know that God's going to give us for His work in in this community. And it cannot be focused on a building. It's It's the one that we worship within the confines of the context, not just of that building, but in our entire community. We listen to a beautiful song. We read a great book that is written about the Lord and we hear more about the, the musician or we hear more about the author than we do about the one that he wrote about. So, so Mary teaches us what the object 
of her worship is the same of what needs to be the object of our worship, the Lord and the Lord alone. We cannot miss this, especially in light of the fact that there's all this noise and colors and and movement around us to draw us away. See the Lord's and the Lord alone. Mary says, the Lord's my Savior, the Mighty One. We see the attitude of Mary's worship, the object of Mary's worship, and the reason for Mary's worship. I'm a person that loves to ask the question, why? The annoying kid in school, excuse me, why does it rain? Why is the sky blue? Why are there waves that crash continually? Just why? If you look at this, you could begin to ask, why does Mary behave like this? Why does she speak like this? Why this outburst of praise and worship? Now, if you think about it chronologically, logically speaking, this is not the joy of a brand new mother here. Okay, the baby has not been born yet. Mary has no idea about the splendor and the wonder and the warmth and the comfort of holding, of nursing and snuggling with the little one. Baby is not come yet. Why would she speak like this? Basic reason, the primary motive of Mary's worship is clearly revealed in the text. If we go back to where we began in the first portion, we saw that, that Mary understood and she trusted what God was going to do. Now, it takes an element of faith. That's what you and I are called to. To trust God with our entire lives, what he promises to do. If you go back, it says the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin. The virgin's name is Mary. He said what? Listen to the the future tense. You will conceive. Hasn't happened yet. You will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. The Lord will give to him the throne of David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The child will be called, what? Holy, the Son of God. Future tense, drawing Mary's attention, what? You haven't seen it yet, but you better hold on. But what happened here? What is Mary's response? What is Mary's response so different than our response? When God says, what? I have a plan for you. I, 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 I've formed you. I, I, I have every detail, every step, every conversation, every problem. I, I've got that all planned out. What is, what is Mary's response? She trusted, she had faith, she rested, she worshiped, she adored, and she models for us our response literally of how to move every single day. Mary's song, Mary's response is what? In verse 48, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Behold, from now on, all generations shall call me blessed. From this moment onward, never ever would her life, or get this, the lives of anyone else ever be the same again. Why? Because the promised Messiah, what, would come And guess what? He did come. He came exactly as he was proclaimed and announced. He came exactly as it was prophesied to be. 
And we saw that Mary demonstrated trust in the great things that God was going to do, but she also responds very typical in a Jewish form of worship and extolling the Lord and reminding what he has already done in the past. These are the Old Testament references in verses 51 through 54. A summary of it, he has shown great mercy. Pause right there for you and I this morning. By you even being here this morning, by you even being able to get up this morning, by you being able to walk here, He has shown great mercy. If you have acknowledged the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have received what His grace, you have already, you have already been shown His great mercy. You realize in and of yourself, in and of myself, our actions, our words, the condition of our hearts, we literally should be damned to hell and separation from God forever and ever and ever. And God saw you. He, he, what? he came to earth for you. He rescued you. He offers redemption for you. He has shown you great mercy. Mary continues on. He has shown strength. He has scattered the proud. He has exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has helped his servant Israel. He has spoke to our forefathers Abraham and his offspring forever and ever. Mary's not only looking forward as you and I need to be doing as well and trusting God. Mary also looks back and said, let me tell you about my Lord. It's the same idea that we have to go. As, as, we, as, we, as we march these couple days into Christmas, we look forward to all that God has promised us, but we also rejoice in what God has done for us. That's where the testimonies of every single one of us, every single one of you have a story. Do you realize what I once was apart from God? Do you realize that my life before I gave it to the Lord Jesus Christ, do you realize the destruction that I was in, the devastation that surrounded me? The loneliness, the joylessness, the hopelessness, all of that. And yet God, what? Rescued me. As a result of that, we have this responsibility. We are to what? Magnify, just like Mary does. We are to exalt. We are to extol. What? He alone is worthy. Not you Take attention off of yourself. Even when it comes to your own family at this Christmas season, make sure that you pause and make sure that you teach people. Make sure that you tell people. Make sure they understand what we are celebrating this time of the year. It's not about getting gifts. It's not about a fat guy in a suit trying to get down a chimney. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with you and I being recipients of God's greatest gift to us. His own Son, the Savior of the world, the one who saves you and I from our own sins. I love the fact that today, for for this, this one day, we get to celebrate not only communion, but also baptism later on with three different individuals. We're commanded to what? Remember two ordinances. This morning we get a glimpse of both of them. Both of them reflect what Jesus Christ has done for us. They give us reason to celebrate. 
And so I think it's more than appropriate, it's more than fitting as we commence the Christmas time to keep our focus on what God has done for us, offering his own son to die. Now we know as we prepare our hearts for communion what this means, what this is. That Jesus Christ made a very clear command on what we should regularly be doing until he comes again. This is the part about we look back and we celebrate what God has done for us. Jesus Christ was sitting with his disciples in the upper room the very night that he was betrayed. They were fellowshipping together. They were enjoying time together. And as that supper time was drawing to a close, Jesus took bread and he wanted to teach a lesson that is never to be forgotten. The bread was different than it is today. It did not have yeast in it. It was unleavened bread. Leavened throughout Scripture is a picture of sin. And Christ talks about this bread being his own body, but it was without yeast, without sin. It was flatter than this. I'm crushing this beautiful, nice roll. But that's exactly what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ, to his body. He showed that bread to his disciples and he broke the bread right in front of them. And he said, just as this bread is being broken, my body, this is a picture of my body, it's going to be broken for you. They were astounded and amazed and they were confused at the same point. They didn't entirely understand it. But they would very, very shortly. After the bread, it says that Jesus took a cup and he poured the cup out. And as he poured it, he said, this cup... This fruit of the vine, this wine is a pitcher. It's not actually, it's a pitcher of my blood that is going to be poured out for you on the cross. And Jesus shed his blood, what? To wash the grossness and the blackness and the darkness of your sins and my sins completely away. It says what? That our hearts become white as snow. Jesus said, as they drank that cup together, what? Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. Without this celebration, we would be still stuck. But because we focus entirely on what God has done for us, we focus on His body that was broken, His blood that was poured out, we have a sense of joy. We have a sense of what? Celebrating what God has done for us. We're going to allow you as believers, if you are a believer here this morning, to participate and partake of this Lord's Supper. I'm going to have the elders to come. I think we may need one or two men to assist. I know that we have a couple away. But we're going to serve this to you. We're going to ask that you stay in your seats. And the men are going to bring you first some bread. And we're going to ask God's blessing on that and the cup. And we're going to partake of that together we're going to have opportunity to celebrate what God has done for us. Let me remind you that if you are not a member of Big Woods Bible Church, that's okay. If you have acknowledged the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, then take this. This is for you. Celebrate and remember. But if you're sitting here this morning and you have not made that decision, if you're still wondering, if you're still wishing that that, that you could receive the hope and the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, in, in this very moment, you can begin that journey. You can say, Lord, I am yours. I recognize I'm a sinner. 
And I know I need you and you alone to forgive me of my sin and rescue me and put what me on a track of following you. You can do that this morning. I would invite you to do that. Gentlemen, as you come, we'll serve this to everyone. I want to ask God's blessing on it. Bow your heads and and we'll pray together. Lord, as we pause this morning and we contemplate what you have done for us, we pause on the plan that you have revealed through your word to us to rescue mankind. We thank you for the babe that was born. We thank you, Lord, for 
Mary's faith in you. God, I would ask that we would demonstrate that same faith and trust in your plan. We thank you, Lord, for this bread and also for this cup. And God, we ask that you would bless it to our bodies. And Lord, may we have a renewed reminder of what you've done for us. Suffering on our behalf, taking the pain and the affliction upon yourself, and freeing us, forgiving us. Father, we thank you for that. Father, I would pray that we would keep you first and foremost in our minds, in our hearts, and may words of praise and worship to you erupt more than anything else over this Christmas season. We ask that you would be glorified and that we would magnify you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. It says that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
Thank you, gentlemen. It says, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. Praise God.